Good morning. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for your spirit speaking to all of us. Would you keep speaking, Lord? Help us to keep listening. Would you pour out more grace in this place, more um, prophecy, more desire for you? And open us our eyes to things um, we didn't see before. Let us see things anew as you take us forward, as we get closer to that holy city. I just wanted to fill my vision. Amen. So, um, Steph and I were talking, sitting on the porch, yay for porch weather. Uh, I remember it was yesterday, and uh, kind of describing how we're feeling lately, and uh, one of the things that I've been describing is feeling kind of scraped out, like a vessel that's just been kind of like cleaned down to the very like edges. Um, and this is not just the last couple of weeks. So uh, it, it's, not a, it's not a momentary like, oh, some hard stuff for the last couple of weeks. It's kind of thing. But really feeling that kind of... Um, cleaned out. Um, I had a little while back in a morning prayer set. Um, I was just talking to the Lord. I'm like, I feel so like scraped clean, you know, like, which sounds kind of good, but not, you know, um, clean sounds good. <laughs> it's the scraped part. That, like, you start to go, is this necessary? <laughs> you know, like, it's like, I like the idea of clean, Lord. But it's the scraped part that, uh, and uh, and so I'm praying out, asking him about it, and he gave me this image of vessels in the house the night before the wedding. Um, and he said, you know, he says in scripture that there are many kind of vessels, and that the Lord appoints some for one thing and some for the other, and um, and. It's sort of a graphic image, I guess, but he was saying, you know, there are vessels that are in the chambers at in the middle of the night before the wedding that are full. Um, would you actually want to be those because they feel full? Or the vessels that are prepared for the feast on the morning that are sitting cleaned out on the shelves waiting for the feast to come. Um, and... And I just, I don't know, it was a powerful image to me of like, would you want to feel filled up just to be filled up when um, it is not you're filled up with gunk? Um, or is it okay to sit on a shelf for a moment, cleaned out and ready, waiting for the moment, be filled with glory, with the, the wine of the feast, or the food of the feast, um, so I'm going to talk about pride today. I love that we started off with this song about his glory and contrasting with um, all of the ambitions of mankind being brought low and his greatness alone mattering. So let's go to Genesis 3. People have those conversations, you know, like the world does. What's the meaning of life? And, uh, of course, from Scripture we can um, easily answer, you know, to, to give him glory and to, to love the Lord our God with all our hearts and um, to worship him. And, of course, that is the meaning of our life going down a million years from now. Like a thousand, thousand years, our lives will be about worshiping him. But the meaning of this life as I um, progress to the end of my fifth decade, um, I am more and more convinced that before his return, specific life we have 
is all about freeing us from our pride. Uh, so Genesis 3, starting in 14, um, the Lord pronounces the results of the rebellion, of the deception of the serpent and the rebellion of Adam and Eve. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I'll greatly multiply your sorrow and your, conce- and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam, he said, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I've commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And it's easy to see this and think, okay, this is, this is like punishment, right? This is a judgment, and the flesh takes it immediately in this sense of the punishment for your sin. But in there is actually a prescription, like a doctor's orders for freeing Adam and Eve from sin. From uh, pride. From sin, but from pride. Um, it's, it's the beginning of a, and I'm prescribing an, an order of um, rehabilitation. I'm going to give you something that's actually going to help you and all of your descendants out of the trap you've just walked into. Um, this curse of the serpent making it more lowly than all of the other animals crawling on its belly. And yet, for thousands of years after this, mankind is going to struggle still with listening to this thing, this thing that's been made to crawl in the dust and exalting it and and turning their hearts to it. There's a... um, You know, in every hook of the serpent, every deception of the serpent, there is following it to its course and then realizing the error in it, realizing the lack of satisfaction in it, realizing that it was um, a good-sounding lie. You know, that at the beginning, it's like, oh, this is going to satisfy. This is going to be, you know, this serpent is telling me it's going to be... um, life to me, only to find death in it. And everybody finds it in the end that follows that path of this seems right now and then becomes a slave to that thing that they were deceived into. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And, um, and here, right here, is a, is a humility. Humility, a path to humility, um, a lesson for even us who have been saved. You know, we come up against this, wait a minute, I have the Holy Spirit. I've received the Lord. I'm washed in the blood. And why is it that I keep having this struggle with this serpent? Why is this serpent still comes and has a voice that I listen to occasionally and have to go back to the Lord? It's not a one-and-done thing. There's a prescription here where the Lord's like, you're going to struggle. The serpent's going to keep deceiving, you know? He sets up a specific time. There's going to be a time where the, the serpent is taken out of the way completely. But he left the serpent in the earth for a reason. And it's part of it is our rehabilitation in that we keep struggling and we have to keep coming back to him to say, Lord, I've still got this snake talking to me. I shouldn't have the snake talking to him anymore. I shouldn't have. He should have no ability to touch any part of me with his lies. And yet, my heart still pulls when he comes and talks. Sorrow and, con- and your conception in pain, you should bring forth children. I don't think it's really hard to see the humbling in that. Um, Is there any more vulnerable, humbled, lack of strength place than in giving birth 
messy and um, overwhelming and and all of the things we like to pretend are like don't exist all the things that you know we we keep hidden of just this mortal life that we live um, and the pain and of course um, a prescription for her submission to her husband and then to Adam um, you should not uh, cursed is the ground for your sake and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life and again here like here is a prescription for humility to continually scratch at the earth for 60, 70 years to get enough to eat and for the ground to resist it and for the things that we do to the earth to get food, actually making the earth worse off, you know, the dust bowls of the early last century of just the, the effort to pull food out of the ground, actually killing the very ground that we're trying to pull food out of um, is just a setup. It is a setup for us to go, I can't. I cannot feed myself with my own strength. It's an opportunity to turn back to the Lord and go, wait a minute, there was a garden by you. There was plenty at your hand. So uh, Thursday was Shavuot, or what we call Pentecost, began. Um, so let's go to Galatians 3.19. So that day marks two big moments in the history of the Lord with people. And the first one was the giving of the law on the mountain to Moses. So Galatians 3.19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin. That the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would, have afterward, would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So the primary purpose of the law is to show sin, not to lead us in. It's not a prescription of here's all of the things you should do to be good, to be righteous, but to point out here's all the ways that you can't be. It's a, it's a big prescription, again, for humility. Its intent is to go, Israel, you need the Lord your God. Not do these things and the Lord your God will be like, yep, you're good. But to guide us into we need you, and we need a Savior. The problem is, all of these prescriptions, from the scratching at the ground, to the childbirth, to the wrestling with the serpent, we have to receive them um, as a prescription to let our pride be dealt with. Because our hearts are tricky, and we can take every medicine the Lord gives us to lead us into humility, to lead us, to free us from our pride, and turn it back into another method to shore up our pride, which is, right, which is Israel's um, testimony of, you know, she should be humbled that she is chosen out of all the nations to be the one to carry the Lord's glory, to carry his precepts. And yet it's so easy to slip into, we are chosen of the Lord, so we are unique and special, and um, all the nations will have to come to us to learn righteousness. 
And it's easy for us, even under the blood of Jesus, to gain wisdom from him even, and then to take that wisdom into a place to shore up our pride. I've learned a few things. I know some stuff. The Lord's given this to me, and I can rest on it, which is a subtly different thing than resting on the one who gave the wisdom. 1 Corinthians 8, 1. Now, concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Faith in God, not what we know. It's kind of a funny thing to say, right? If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. So then when he does know it, as he ought to know... He won't think that he knows anything. It feels like this loop. How do you get out of that loop? Um, Because we know we see in part. We know we prophesy in part. We know we hold everything um, that the Lord says in faith, which means in faith is not, oh yeah, I got it. In faith is, the Lord told me this. I'm going to believe it until he corrects me. Until he says, actually, I I didn't tell you that. You got that one wrong. And we have to be in the place where we're like, we are hearing from the Lord um, in order to be faithful, not to be right. It's not primarily about information. It's about relationship with him, about listening and taking the next step and listening again and taking the next step and having the good shepherd go, Here's my rod. I'm going to knock you. You took that step a little off. Here, back in. It's a funny kind of thing being in a prophetic group of prophetic people because we all have to be carrying our prophecies lightly, hands open. This is what the Lord told me. And I'm not going to let anybody talk me out of it, but I am going to listen for if the Lord is telling some, me, wait a minute, you got it wrong through one of my friends. That's a very narrow road because it's easy to go, you know what, I'm too wishy-washy. I got to hold on to the things the Lord's saying, so I'm just going to go forward with it and whatever. Everybody else can like, deal with it or not, which is not. It's not that's not being part of a relationship with anybody. Um, or, you know, it's easy to err on the other side too and be like, well, I don't know. I think the Lord told me this, but like, what did he tell you, and what did he tell you? And, and I'm going to measure it up against all of your things to make sure first. And that's not faithfulness to him either. Like, who can do this, right? The Lord can. But this means we should be in a fear of the Lord as we reach forward, move forward into being a prophetic people. Because it is such a narrow way, and it can only be done by his spirit and by his grace. It wasn't a lack of knowledge that led the Pharisees... Uh, did I read First Corinthians? Yes, I did, okay. <laughs> uh, not a lack of knowledge that led the Pharisees to rebuke Jesus. Matthew 12, 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place, there is one greater in the temple. But if you'd known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And um, this is just one example of their interactions, but they, they had knowledge. 
And it was knowledge of what God had said. Like he did say, don't work on the Sabbath. He did say, you know, leave the gleanings of the field. So they're sitting on something that the Lord did say, but they're not listening to the Lord at all. And they're standing right before the Lord, made flesh before them, with an unteachable spirit holding on to something that they think they knew. Which is, of course, also one of the big dangers of being a prophetic people and trying to hear the Lord is he often says things and we receive them and then we start embroidering around them all of our good ideas about that thing he said. And it becomes very difficult to tell afterward. I, me. It becomes very difficult to tell where, what is that thing that the Lord said and what are all the really good things I thought about it afterward. Because at some point I left off asking him, okay, you said you're going to do this thing. And I didn't ask, now how are you going to do it? What do I need to do in that? What do I not need to do in that? And then I can run around going, but the Lord said, even though he said this core, and I didn't really ask him about all these other things I've now attached onto it and I'm proclaiming, this is what the Lord said. In the humility, um, I, I have a couple of interns at my work that I've, uh, and I've, for a couple decades now, I've always had two interns a year. Sometimes they stay for two years. And uh, it is amazing the different amount of interaction that they will have. And when I'm like, hey, you know, this is the plan. Would you go and do? And there are interns who will go and do, realize they don't really know how to do it, and then they'll kind of try to make it happen because they said, hey, do this, rather than coming back to say, you know what? I, I understand what you're saying, but the, you know, this part of it, like, how do I get this part done in order to get there? Um, and I'm always, I'm always happier when they come back and they're like, I don't really understand this portion. Would you explain this to me? Then when they're like, yeah, I ran with it. And I saw this other thing that needed done and I just did it, you know, even though that wasn't on the plan for the day. Which comes out of a place of you know, knowing of that humility to know where we are in the Lord of like asking, obeying, getting his orders for the day. The scripture frequently refers to um, the dispensations of the Lord. And that word is, um, the, is it like an economy. It's how a household is run. And I, I love seeing the Lord as the master of the house, and he's got a house, and he's got, you know, we all gather together with him at times. And he's like, okay, this is the working of the house for today. This is your portion in it, and this is your portion in it. You know, go and um, do the work of my house. But it requires that checking in. It requires that getting the orders of the master of the house, or else it's just a bunch of people running around doing all kinds of crazy stuff and overlapping each other and, you know, being, you know, doing redundant things and um, doing the, something first that should have been waited. Uh, Philippians 3.8. I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. The man who the Holy Spirit wrote most of the New Testament through, who was a Pharisee, who was thoroughly schooled in Scripture, is like now. None of that was worthwhile except the knowledge of him as my Lord. And, you know, what did it take? It took, like, a bright light and a knocking down and a blindness. And then the rest of his life going through all kinds of different sufferings to get rid of Paul's humility, or, uh, pride and bring him into the humble place where he is, like, cleaned out, ready, overflowing um, with what's poured into him. To all of us, a couple millennia later even. But he had a, a real strong sense of like what really mattered and holding all the other things so loosely that they could be let go of. I love that, you know, in the middle of writing the scripture, there's even a portion where he's like, you know, the Lord hasn't talked to me about this, but this is kind of what I think. Like, practiced in that I'm listening to what the Lord's saying, and I know when he hasn't said anything to me, and I can just offer it loosely and not worry too much about it. So obedience to the Spirit is the gateway into humility. So this is the other, in the beauty of the Lord. You know, he gave the law on the same day that hundreds of years later, he poured out his Spirit on Pentecost. He just scrambled my notes here. So first, the law, to show us our sin, to break down the pride that says, yeah, I, I can be righteous. I'm a good person. And the law says, you're measured and found wanting. And then the pouring out of the Spirit, which strengthens us, which guides us in the way of righteousness, but who is still necessary. You know, without him, there's still a humbling in that. Humbling that you, the Lord God, have poured out your spirit inside me, take residence inside me, and humbling that I, I don't get down this road unless I ask you each step of the way, what is the next step? That we would need this tutor into righteousness to guide us each step of the way should be um, should be a death to our pride. But again, it's so easy to, um, to flip it, to take the things that are meant for the death of our pride and use them instead to prop up our pride, you know. Oh, the Spirit has moved through me. I've heard him. I went to rest on that. Oh, you know, he healed somebody at the touch of my hand. Come on. I must be the one now. Let's all go my direction. Galatians 5, 16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Um, so I talked about, like, I'm just more convinced as life goes on that the one of the primary purposes of walking out these days before his return is to be freed of my pride, is to have it removed. And one of the ways that I have seen is a flip in my understanding of um, what the Lord wants to, to save me from, what the Holy Spirit is meant to give me. Because at the outset, it seems like the Holy Spirit is here to take care of my weaknesses. Like, okay, you know what? I'm not a very patient person, so the Holy Spirit is here to give me patience. Or um, I'm not very faithful. I'm kind of a, you know, liberty gibbet for, to use a really old word. <laughs> um, I don't really stick with the things that are important, but the Holy Spirit has that for me. And at, especially maybe in the last decade of my life so far, I'm starting to realize that that's really not it. Because I'm discovering that all the things that I thought were my strengths, that the Holy Spirit was going to fill in around, you know, he's going to like get rid, he's going to take out those potholes where I'm lacking patience, right? But, you know what, I'm, I've always been kind of a kind person. You know, I'm just naturally kind of kind person. I was raised that way and kind of DNA, I don't know, whatever. I've got a grace for kindness. In the last decade, I'm realizing those are actually my bigger enemies than the thing I thought I didn't have. It's the fact that I thought, I've always been a kind of a kind, I've never had a problem with kindness. I've never had a problem with, yeah, I'm a pretty joyous person. I like, Bumps in the road, I get over them, I keep going. I've always had kind of an innate joy in my life. And then as time goes on, the Lord's like, and then that ran out too. I'm going to let that run out. You had that maybe for a good 30, 40 years of your life, but it still wasn't much. Really, when you get down to the bottom of it, when you feel a little testing, all those things you thought yeah, I've always been patient, you know. I just, I just don't get really upset a lot. I can sort of hang in with things. No, no. Going back to that child, Marianne, you know, of course, like kids are one of the best ways to get there is all of the things you thought were like, this is what I'm good at. And you have kids and you realize, no, that, that, that had a bottom too. That was, there was a limited resource of that as well. Which is all good. I'm on on my best days with the Lord. I'm starting to go. Yeah, this is actually really good. This scraping out is a preparation for something so beautiful and glorious, and it is life. Which, of course, on the worst days, the flesh is like, "You're killing me, God. Why are you killing me?" You know, it's David crying out, all those waves and billows, I just keep getting crashed by wave after wave, and right when I get a little breath of air, bam, I'm slapped in the face with a couple tons of salt water again. But it's a prescription. It's an earthquake that's not directed at shaking us down to the ground. It's that cage of pride around us that's being shaken open so we can walk out of it. So let's look at Jesus some specifically. Isaiah 53, our humble Savior. So unlike everything that's drawing people in the world right now, you know? 
we all, in our flesh, in the, in the way our brains are, really like arrogant people. We don't think we like arrogant people. We're like, oh, you know, we sit around and talk, oh, arrogant people, arrogant people bother me. But arrogant people look really good at first. They're exciting. They seem so sure of a direction to head in, and it feels so good just to have one to go in. You know, it's like it explains so many leaders that, you know, half of the population is like, what in the world? This guy, and the other half is like, he's the best. But if you go to another leader, it's the opposite side that's doing the same thing, you know? Because there's this like, look at that guy. He's so confident. He says all the things I'm afraid to say, but I know are true because I feel them burning in me. Not in self-control and not in like loving truth, but spewing it out there and it feels so good that I can like hold on to that guy who's spewing all the things I just really want to spew to. And yet Jesus, not at all like this. Isaiah 53 uh, two. Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah got to prophesy. He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Not just arrogance. I mean, we love beautiful people. And as much as we tell ourselves, no, no, I like character. There, you know, scientists can easily could sit you down and run you through a couple of tests that will show you that you respond to beautiful people that you don't even realize. They do things where they flash up images and tie them to statements, and you will believe the ones that are attached to beautiful people slightly more. There you go. It, 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 it's... You know, as much as we resist it, as much as we in our hearts are like, no, I'm not, I'm not paying attention to the outward. It just, it is our hearts, apart from the Spirit. And Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, got to say, you know what? He's not going to have anything that people are like, ooh, you know, this guy, he is the guy. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And Jesus chose this, right? He chose. The Father chose. This is the way you're going to come into the earth. Um, I mean, can you imagine? I don't know, imagine what I would choose if I had got to, like, fill out a questionnaire before I was born of the things that I would like me to be, you know, what I would like to look like, what my house, you know, my circumstances I would be born into, what I would do with my life, you know. And he was like, lowly. I'm going to be something nobody's going to be attracted to unless they hear the Spirit talking to them and they recognize the words of life I'm speaking. And think of Nathaniel going, like, he was even born in a dump. You know? Like, Nazareth? Yeah, right. Or the Pharisees going, like, what authority do you have? Like, who are you? You know? Like, this is, this is who he was to most people. Was it like, who are you? What, what in the world are you doing? Um, and the same is true of, like, many people that the Lord used, you know, Moses, I don't talk great, you know. Are you sure? <laughs> like, although, you know, there's, there's a little seed of pride in that. You can use me. I don't talk good. You know, who are they? Why are they going to respond? Like, he asks the Lord, like, okay, you're telling me to go do these things, say these things. They're just going to look at me like, you got to give me some proof because I know there's nothing they're going to respond to. 
Or um, Gideon being like, this is the tiniest little clan of people out of all the people, and you're saying, me. Like, I had to hide to destroy the idol. And then the Lord's like, and I'm going to keep reducing you more and more. Like, we're going to just keep going, and we're going to keep taking away people. Although, again, like, there's a little pride in there of Gideon going, oh, no, you can't. You can't use me. I'm too meek, too, too small. But this is the thing that the Lord uses. And it's not the thing that the world's going after ever. The world loves flashy. We all love flashy. We love confident and sure and um, strong and attractive. And yet, you know, going back to, uh, I didn't read in that list in Genesis, as he lists, these are the things, these are the re- things that are happening because of your rebellion. But, you know, the big one was death. Like, this is the thing that we're all fighting against so hard. You know, all the little ways that we're like, I keep the wrinkles at bay a little bit longer. I'm going to like, my muscles from getting deteriorated. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do the brain exercises so that I'm like sharp. It's a tack into my old age. You know, we're going to, you know, anyway, yes. Those are the simple things. The like, the, those are the, the, oh, these feel like good stewardship sort of things, but on into the, you know, even bizarre ones of the like, and we're going to put all these things into our bodies to, to keep their shape um, through cosmetic surgery or and our whole culture too is like bent has been bent for a good what is it 85 years since mid last century so youth oriented because we're like oh you know we all desire to go back and be at that point of life where it felt strong and capable and infinite possibilities out of me, out, you know, out before me. As opposed to this path that the Lord has of like, come empty yourself. Day by day, week by week, year by year, until you're like me. You're in my image. You're ready to be with me forever because all of the pride has been pulled away layer by layer by layer. Um, Isaiah 42, backing up a little bit. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He'll bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He'll not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and smoking flax he will not quench. He'll bring forth Justice for truth. He'll not fail nor be discouraged till he's established justice in the earth and the coastlines shall wait for his law. It's just, it's amazing um, just the way he carried himself while on earth. And this gentle questioning most of the time, you know, somebody's resisting, somebody's like, no, that's not right. Or, what are you, who are you? And he's like, let me ask you a couple of questions. It's the most gentle way to invite people to hear, to um, recognize him. It wasn't, no, 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 you don't know. I've been with the Father this morning, and he said, and don't you know who I am? And let me prove it with another miracle, you know? He had no need for anyone to believe what he said. Just an invitation and a love, knowing that it would be life to them if they did. Which is my warning inside me. I know when the Lord has said something and I'm carrying it, and I'm like, okay, I think you've said this thing. If I have to keep, if I feel myself starting to be like, no, 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 here's why. Let me repeat that again. 
Let me keep coming at you with it. I've gotten out of, okay, Lord, you've given me this thing to say right now. I've said it. And it's like a paper boat I set on the water. It's been released. It's doing its thing. Whether anybody else sees it, whether it gets you know, admired, whether it sinks a little ways out, And hopefully it blesses somebody. But that's in your hands, Lord. Matthew 21, 23. So I talked about this. Um, they're questioning his authority. So let's we'll read it. Matthew 21, 23. Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I'll also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he'll say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we don't know. And he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I mean, it's the complete opposite. Like, it was like, okay, you're not, you're not receiving right now. I'm not going to like double down and go, here's where my authority comes from. Here's where, I am the son of God. I was there when all things were created. They were created for me, through me. I'm about to go suffer so that you have an option to not burn in torment forever. Like, he doesn't lay any of that on them. He's like, okay, you're, you're not ready to receive right now. I actually told you in my questions the answer to your question, but I'm going to leave it there. And somewhere down the road, there are Pharisees that are part of the early church. I don't know if they were at this particular exchange, but something in that where he, all of those different interactions with the Pharisees that he has had, somewhere in there, all those sowing seeds, all those asking them a few questions to get them to really think about what they're, they think they know, some were brought into the kingdom. You want to come back up for response time. Um, <laughs> okay, it's good. I got a little bit more to, to share. Um, one of the beautiful, actually restful things for me is that it's going to have its effect. Like every single person who has ever lived and is living now is going to lose their pride. Whether it happens early enough to be saved or not is in question. But every knee is going to bow. That means everybody has a moment where it's like, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I am dust and ashes before you. Every person speaking proud words in the earth is going to have that moment. Nobody's getting away with a life of pride all the way through. And here in this place, we have a vehicle for running into that process rather than pulling against it our lives, all our lives. We actually have the prayer room as a way to sign up for this process. Um, a lot of the way things have been structured here is unto this, you know, the, the antiphonal nature of things. There's always two people submitting to each other, at least, in a prayer set. Um, sometimes more. You know, we've got six people on our elder board, and we do almost nothing without checking in with each other of like, hey... Here's a thing come up. Are you good with it? 
um, you know, there, people have been set in very specific areas of authority of, like, taking care of the outside, of the taking care of the, the building itself, of, of um, managing how we get together and take care of it together. And, and it's all set up so that we have all these opportunities to submit to each other. Um, and then, of course, being a prophetic people. There, it looks like, I mean, you read scripture, and it looks like, um, hey, there's this one prophetic guy, right? The Isaiah's and the Jeremiah's, and the one guy was the one guy to get up and go, hey, everybody, here's the word of the Lord. And, um, and then, of course, the Lord tells Elijah, actually, I've got a bunch of other prophets still who are still prophesying. And if you look at those prophets, they're paired up. If you put them on a timeline, he had two witnessing. They overlap each other on down the ages. It was never just one person who had the only thing for Israel um, that the Lord gave them. Even Moses was like, this is too much for me. I need some people to help me hear what they have to say and give them wisdom from the Lord. So we are uniquely set up in a position to go, you know what? I want to get rid of this pride. I'm going to carry, like I was talking about earlier, I'm going to carry what the Lord's given me to say into this place in humility and with an open hand and say, hey, y'all, this is what I hear the Lord saying. And I'm going to eagerly wait for what you're saying. And I'm going to eagerly wait for the moment where the Lord's like, okay, that time, that wasn't what I was saying that you gave. And then Lord, give me the grace to go, hey, everybody, that thing I said last week was not what the Lord was saying. I'm sorry. So Lord, um, would you pour out a grace just in this place? I, I, my spirit wants to run in. resists. And I just ask for grace in this place to enter into a new kind of humility. I know this is where love thrives. Is us being humbled before you and each other. So would you take us there? Um, we do need a miracle for it. We cannot do it without you, Lord. So we ask um, in faith and expectation that this is what you want to do and that you are capable of doing it.